Okay, good evening again. It is so sweet. Thank you guys for being here. Um, what our, our hope is for all of you, if, uh, if conditions allow to have a chance to get to, to have at least one week you get to worship here in person. Uh, we're trying to do that as safely and responsibly as we can and, and abide by the regulations. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you for helping make it happen. Thank you to the worship band as always. Uh, I, I think the plan is for just an additional person to be wearing a tuxedo each week. And then we'll just sort of see, we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I really am, I really am excited for a chance to, to be together. So whether, whether you're on Zoom or, or not, uh, thank you. I, I know there's a lot going on. I feel like it's one of the things I tend to say every week, but you could be spending your time doing uh, a lot of different things right now. So for you to take this time to try to connect in this way, I know it's hard and I, I'm really thankful. Um, we're continuing our series in the book of James, and we've been talking all semester about James's teaching on uh, true religion, this living faith of both faith and works in a season of trials and testing. And we've been doing this because this is a season of trials and testing in so many ways. And uh, I know as the semester goes on, you guys are experiencing that in, in all different kinds of, of ways. We, we talked last week about the reality of the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in our own hearts, but of the reality that even far greater than that is God's grace. And we sang that songs, our sins, they are many, his mercy is is more. And now James turns his teaching to something that I think we're all familiar with, which is uh, the way we think about and hope for our future. The way we hope for our future, the nature of this hope. So uh, I will read this. It's going to be up on your screen from James 4, 13 to 17, and then we'll jump in. Starting in verse 13 says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there and trade and make a profit? Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin." This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Uh, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we are thankful for a chance. Thank you for uh, the joy it is to, to get to sing. Uh, you move us through music, Lord, and these songs are for you. We pray they'd be pleasing to you. Thank you that you use them to even bless us, even though they're for you. And I pray right now that you would uh, be at work, Holy Spirit, through your word in us, that we might know you and love you more and love one another pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, Maggie, my wife, and I had been married about four months, this is November of 2008, we were traveling to see family for Thanksgiving. And on the way back, we, we had been talking about one day getting a dog. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we got married pretty young. We'd only been married for a little while. We weren't crazy. So, we're, you know, maybe we'll do this in a year, maybe for my birthday. And on the way back into Charlottesville, where we lived at the time, we decided we would just stop by the SBCA and sort of check it out and see what the deal was. And so we, we pull into the SBCA parking lot, and I distinctly remember uh, turning off the car and turning to Maggie and saying, no matter what, we are not leaving here with a dog. Okay? And we're on the same page. We, we go into the SBCA, and uh, we, we meet the person who's, who's working there, and we start to go and look through the back, which is kind of this depressing place of chain-link kennels filled with and it's mean dogs and ugly dogs and loud barking dogs. And at the very end is this cute little red puppy. And they tell us that uh, she's the, the last of her litter. All of her litter mates have been adopted. And so she's just like alone in the world. And, 
And I go in the kennel and I sit down and she just quietly comes up to me and sniffs me and I pet her and she gets and curls up in my lap and puts her, puts her little face on my knee. And I looked over to Maggie and like we both knew like we're leaving with a dog. Like this is about to, this is about to happen and we, and we left with that dog. Uh, it, it was one of those moments, and I, and I know you know what this, what this feels like, but I was, I was confident, I was certain, I was sure of this picture of the future that I had. And I realized that I was wrong, that my picture wasn't as certain as I thought it was, that my confidence was misplaced, like I couldn't actually guarantee this thing. And I think that reality is what James is getting at in, in the passage this evening. He's getting at our perspective on the future. And the word I'm going to use tonight is hope. Our hope for our future. I'm just using hope because it's, it's the best biblical word, even though it doesn't occur in this, in this passage. But what are we hoping for for our future? And specifically, what's the nature or the attitude that Christians are called to hope for the future? Okay, here's why this is important. Uh, this, this hits us because we live in a world and we live as people who care really deeply about the future. We care really deeply about the future. We really care who's going to win the presidential election in two weeks. We really care when COVID is going to end. We really care about getting a job one day. We really care about finding someone who's going to love us and be with for our, our whole lives one day. We, we deeply care about what's going to happen t- tonight and next week and in two weeks and in two years and down the road of our life. And I, I want you to hear me say that God cares about our future too. In fact, he actually cares about it more than we do, but he also calls us to hope for our futures in a particular kind of way, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about. So here's what we're going to see tonight. In this hope for the future, we're going to talk about the blindness of our hope for our future. We're going to talk about the brevity of our hope for our future, and we're going to talk about the basis of the hope for our future, okay? The blindness, the brevity, and the basis. So first, the the blindness of hope for our future. And, And when it comes to hoping for the future, James he points out what is sort of the most obvious and the most frustrating aspects of this first. He says, you know, some of you say, we're, you're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Here's what he says in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You care about the future, but you just don't know about tomorrow. You don't know about an hour from now. You don't know about two weeks from now. You don't know about a year from now. You, you, just, you just don't know. And, and this, this is a pretty frustrating reality because we, we want to know. I, um, when, when Coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, took over USA Basketball, if you're a basketball fan, he, he was, had training camp starting in Las Vegas for the Beijing Olympics, and he had uh, invited, he had some young stud players like LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony and Chris Paul who were going to be on this team, but he invited some older players like Kobe Bryant to come join the team too to provide some leadership. And so Kobe actually showed up like two days early to training camp in Las Vegas, and he knocked on Coach K's door while he's meeting with the other coaches and said, hey, Coach, can I, can I talk to you for a second? And uh, they, we went into another room and he said, Coach, I, I want to guard the best perimeter player on every team that we play in the Olympics. And then he leaned in and he said, coach, I'm going to destroy him. We, like, don't we love that about athletes and like champions, that, that confidence and that swagger and that, and that certainty? That's like the Mamba mentality is certainty about what's about to happen. Like he knows he's going to dominate. He knows he's going to destroy him. And, and we want that too, right? We want to have the attitude that says like, no matter what, I'm getting into med school. 
we have the attitude that says, like, I, I kind of know what's going to happen in two weeks, and, I, and I'm not afraid to let everybody know that, like, I'm the one who knows, or at least I'm the one who knows what should happen. We, we, we want to have this, like, sure confidence that, like, you know, I don't know who my person's going to be for my life, but, I, you know, I know, I know it's going to happen, and here's how it's going to happen. We, we want to know, right? And James stops us and says, you don't know. You are blind to the future. You, you actually aren't sure. And, and although, as challenging as this is, it, it gives us a, a posture of humility when it, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to our future. Because humans who, who embrace their, their blindness are able to look towards the future in a way that, that is honoring to the reality that we are humans and we don't know. And we are looking to a God and he is the only one who does know. That, that to submit ourselves, to humble ourselves to the reality that we just don't know, it actually builds in us a trust in the only one who does know, which is God. Now, uh, this is a little uncomfortable. Like, how comfortable are you with uncertainty? How comfortable are you with the idea that you are driving down the road of your life blind? Like, this is a little scary, right? It's really, really hard. We're, we're, we're going to talk about how we grow in this as, as we go along. But that's, that's the first point is that... Um, is the blindness of our hope. The second thing tonight is the, is the brevity of our hope for the future. And this has more to do with the, the nature of being a human person. Okay, just what it's like to be, to be a human being. James' second caution about our hope, this is at the end of that same passage, 14, he says this, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And one of the things that, um, that is difficult is that when we consider our, our lives and when we consider our, our trajectories and our paths, one of the things that we tend to do, at least if you're like me, is that I have the perspective that, that I am sort of at the center of that story. And in fact, the way that I interact in the world, the way that I go about my business, the way that I think and dream and pray and hope and long is as if I am actually at the center of the universe, that I am kind of the anchor. I am the steady point. I am the one with power to make things happen in my life. And James says to us, what is your life? You are just a mist. Your life is a life of, of brevity. You just get a few short years and then you're gone. Like, Why would you put your hope in a story that is so short, that is so brief, that is so uh, insubstantial compared to the realities of the eternal kingdom of heaven? And the challenge here is to realize that we're just less important than we think. Now, it, it's, it's also, we need to say, is the point that your life isn't, isn't important? That your life doesn't really matter? No. In fact, the whole story of, of Scripture affirms that you matter. In fact, you matter to God so much that he like, came and lived and died so that you might be raised again to a living hope, a life in him. So it's not that your life doesn't matter. It's that we have to have the perspective of seeing our lives, of seeing our existence, of seeing our path and our future within the backdrop of this grander story of God and his kingdom that had no beginning and will have no end. That's how we have to learn to view our lives. And, and, I, and I think that the fact that our life is, is a mist is actually good news for us. As, as I've reflected on this week, I, I think it's actually good news. For, I think it's a comfort against the, the overwhelming anxiety that comes when we think that the stakes for our life are like ultimate. When we think that it all comes down 
to what you do and what happens in your future right now. And, and God says, you know, you, you're important, but it's not, it's not all about you. It, you can think about this when it, when it comes to the, the election that's coming up. Like this election in our country, it's a big deal. It's a real thing. It's going to have a real impact. But it's not what it all comes down to. It's not the, the thing that determines the course of the big story. It's just not God is. The, the brevity of hope, it frees us from framing this election in, in ultimate terms. That means it could, be, it could be Donald Trump, it could be Joe Biden. The whole world is not at stake. And we live within this messaging that says, like, everything is at stake. And, and I just want to tell you, if, if you are a Christian, I know not everyone on this call is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, it's not all at stake. It's not. You are just a mist. Those two men are just a mist. This country is just a mist. It's going to vanish one day. But God is forever. And he is your king, and he is your father, and he has you. And he's in control. I'll stick with stories about, about great basketball players tonight. Okay, it's my theme for the night. Uh, Michael Jordan was uh, in, interviewed in, in 2018, and he was asked about a survey that went out. I don't know how many people took the survey, but a survey of Americans about the, the most famous athlete in the history of America. And he was, he was number one. Number two was Babe Ruth. Number three was Muhammad Ali. And he got asked what, what he thought about that, especially kind of in light of some of the up-and-coming stars like LeBron James. And he said, you know, the, the people who were surveyed, like I was the person in, the, in their lifetime who was, who was on TV. I was the person who had all the sponsors. I was the person who won the championships. He said in 20 years, the survey would go differently. I bet in 20 years it will be LeBron James. He had, he had this fascinating perspective of realizing, like, I, I've had my moment, but it's almost over now. And I know that once I'm gone, someone else is going to have it. Like, he got the brevity of the human experience, even as successful as he has, as he has been. Our hope for our future is a hope of brevity that, that submits to the reality that our life and our trajectory is not the main story. It's not the main event. We're here a moment and we're gone the next, but the kingdom of God endures forever, okay? Okay, so our hope is blind and brief. What, what's, what's the good news, okay? <laughs> Lastly, James tells us that we also have our ba- a basis for our hope, and the basis of our hope is God himself. The basis of our hope is is God himself. James says, instead of what he describes as arrogantly boasting about what you'll do tomorrow, instead of saying, this is where I'm going and this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to this place, I'm going to crush it, I'm going to be successful, he says this. Instead, verse 15, say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. If the Lord wills. These four words change everything about our experience as people trying to follow Jesus. If the Lord, if the Lord wills. And we can't help but think of, of Jesus when he was praying on the Mount of Olives the night that he was betrayed and arrested. Do you remember the story? He's out praying by himself, feeling the weight of what's about to happen to such, to such an extent that he's, that he's weeping as if drops of blood are coming out of his eyes. And he says, Lord, if you will take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's an incredible thing that Jesus does in this moment. Do do, do you hear what he's doing? The the first thing he does is he's completely honest with his father about what he wants. This is really important because the point of this is not to say you shouldn't care about your life or your future. The point isn't to say you can't have goals or plans or desires. Jesus is completely honest with his father about what he wants. This is pretty real, right? Like, I don't relish the idea of being betrayed by my best friends, 
like arrested, mocked, tortured, and murdered. I don't want that. And then he says, nevertheless. And I think that's like, this is the moment <laughs> where we see what true faith in, in Jesus, true faith in the Father is like from Jesus. He says, nevertheless. He says, e- even though I've told you what I want, not what I will, but you will. I, I trust what my Father wants more than I trust what I want. And this is really like central to the posture of humility that we've kind of been getting at as we've gone through James this semester, this idea that we actually trust God more than we trust ourselves. We trust God's will more than we trust our own will. We, we trust that God knows more than we know, that God sees more than we see. And that's the thing that Jesus is getting at when he prays this prayer. And when we begin to cultivate that kind of of trust, our hope for the future becomes uh, marked with confidence in God, not selfish ambition. It starts to be marked by peace instead of anxiety. It starts to be marked by thanksgiving instead of disappointment. Doesn't that sound good? Like, wouldn't you like to have that kind of attitude, that kind of posture, that kind of peace in your heart when it comes to the things that you cannot control, that you think about every day? Like, can you imagine voting in this election and then not being anxious about who wins? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine like, having to, like, not having to wait until everyone is vaccinated with COVID before you like, get on with your real life? Can you imagine like, longing to find a husband or a wife one day, but being able to wait for it with patience? Can you imagine sending out your resume and applying for jobs left and right with a total calm heart? I mean, can, can you imagine what that would be like? And the reality is that for believers in Christ, our hope for our future, it cannot be in elections, it cannot be in relationships, it cannot be in jobs, it cannot be in vaccines. Those things are just not strong enough for your hope. They're just not enough. And it's not that they don't matter, but only one thing, only one person is enough for your hope, and that's God. That's the only thing. And that's why it's such good news that you're just a mist. Because the things in your life are not enough for your hope, but God is. And he likes you, and he sees you, and he cares about you. Growing in, growing in this kind of, of trust and hope in God as we think about the future, I think it's one of the hardest things about life. I think it's one of, the, one of the hardest things about being a Christian. And I think that's why James ends with this weird teaching. It almost seems like it doesn't fit, right, at the very end, verse 17. All of a sudden he says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I think he's saying, like, I'm telling you to hope in God. I'm telling you to hope in God's will for your future. It, you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> like, that's what it feels like to me. I, I'm up here, and I'm telling you that this is what we need to do, and I'm, I'm not there. This is a fight for me in so many areas of my life right now where I want to make my own future happen or where I'm kind of unwilling to be at peace until certain uh, future circumstances line up, and then I'll be good, then I'll be happy, then I'll be whole, then I'll be at peace, then I'll be complete, then I'll have enough. It's really hard for me. But I think that um, there's a few things that we can do in this sort of lifelong fight to teach us how we can grow in this way. And, and I'll just say this really quickly by way of application. I think this passage teaches us to change the way that we talk, and I think it teaches us to change the way that we pray. And that's why he, he's not talking about your attitude in this passage. Realize that. He says, instead, you ought to say out loud when you're talking, say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this. 
can do that. Like when we talk about things like this upcoming election, we have to start talking like people who don't know what's gonna happen. We have to start talking like people who don't even know what should happen. We have to start talking like people who trust God. And part of that is saying that actual phrase in conversation. And I'm giving you permission to do it this week, okay? Because it might feel awkward to say it like you're trying to sound super Christian. You're not trying to. You're just doing what I told you to do on Tuesday night. When you're talking about this, say, if the Lord wills it, this is what I would love. If the Lord wills it, this is what I hope is good. If the Lord wills, you should actually say it. One of the things that happens when you say things is that your heart eventually starts to catch up. It starts to form you and change you over time. Just saying, if the Lord wills, it doesn't magically transform you into a person of like trust and humility before God, right? But over time, when you talk like that, when you talk like that about the job you want, when you talk like that about the relationship you want, when you talk like that about what in the world is going to college going to be like even next semester, when you talk about how in the world you're going to get through nine weeks away from all your friends, we have to start saying these, this phrase, if the Lord wills it, or thy will be done, like Jesus says the night he's arrested. And, and I think the same goes for, for our prayers. We have to change the way that we pray. Uh, I, I was really convicted by this this week as I reflect on this passage. And, and I sort of tried to pay attention to my prayers and I realized that probably 95% of the things that I pray for, 95% of my prayer time is me asking God for certain things to happen in the future. And sometimes that future is later this day. And sometimes the future is down the road more than that. But I, I am mostly praying for things to happen that would be good for me according to my perspective and my timing. And I need to learn how to say, Lord, but your will, nevertheless, Lord, I've told you what I want, but I want to trust you more than I trust me. So I'm going to say in my prayer, thy will be done. And again, I'm going to hope and pray that over time that starts to change my heart to be the kind of person who believes that God's will is better than mine. And his perspective is better than mine. And he can see further than I can see. And he knows more than me. I hope I'm going to start to believe it. God cares about your future and he cares more than you do. God cares so much about your future that he promises that he will give you everything that you need. In fact, abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. God cares about your future so much that he promises that he will work everything together for your good if you love him. God cares about your future so much that he promises you that he will be with you no matter what. And, and when, you, when you start to forget that or when you struggle to forget what he says he's going to do in the future, look back at what he's done in the past. Remember that Jesus cares about your life so much that he was born into this world to suffer and die because he loves you. And he promises you a future in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you and thank you for the future that is guaranteed in you of life and light eternally. I pray that you would humble us as we think about our, our immediate and long-term futures. Lord, we, I struggle to trust you. I want what I want in the ways that I want it. Lord, please give us the perspective uh, of the honesty and the humility that comes from being able to say, we, we actually don't know what's coming. And I pray that you would give us this, the perspective of seeing our, our stories as small as they are compared to the backdrop of you and your kingdom. And I pray that you would root us in faith and grow us in our trust of you. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.